Welcome to C3 Church Tabra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Bill Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. should uh, mention to you uh, the giants again, Joshua 3.10. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gigashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, several giants in the land that, uh, that we deal with. And the, the teaching of this is really about several um, I guess, strongholds still on the planet. So we're talking about the promised land in ancient history, but still those heathen giants, nations that had given themselves over to Satan, more or less, had dispositional spirits about them that when you came into contact with them, they manifested certain attitudes and dispositions of negativity. And I feel I need to stop at this giant, which is the last giant. I've spoke about fear. I've spoke about um, the tongue, the power of the tongue. And I think the last one I want to speak about, because there is several, but I'm I'm not going to go there. The last one would be uh, money. Money is the last giant that faces people. Now, everyone, when they get saved, everyone faces spiritual uh, conflict of some nature. Everyone has had that, haven't they? They got saved and they've had spiritual conflict. These are probably a little bit more than that. These are probably more threatening. They're, they're, they're more pervasive. They are around the planet. They've infected the planet. They're in fact spiritual strongholds in the heavenlies. That's my, that's my uh, precedent for this message. Okay, so someone's probably wondering what the several giants are, just for namesake. The first one was dealing with fear, the Hittite spirit. Uh, The Amorites was taming the tongue. The The third one, God, money, and the Bible, and the Canaanites. That's what this message is about. The fourth one was about the world, the delusion and the delight. I talked about leaving home young, going into the world, and being deluded to the fact that I thought I could find myself in the world. No, not really. Five, the need for protection. The Perizzites is about this innate, overwhelming desire that, that you feel that God cannot protect you, that, that you cannot be protected by God. In fact, that you have to do, do it yourself. Uh, six, the dangers of backsliding, the Gigashites. And the Jebusites is a, a stronghold coping with condemnation, which is a real one a lot of people deal with. Amen? So... Um, I'm not going to go into the others. The three, three ones for me, the major ones, are fear, um, taming the tongue, and this one, the Canaanite spirit, which is about money. And Ephesians 6.12 says it like this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So we're not dealing with actual giants now, physical giants. We're dealing with spiritual powers in the heavenly realms that pervade over our cities and over our communities as such. It's amazing when you can go into a particular city. Say if you were to go to Las Vegas, all of a sudden you'd feel a propensity to want to gamble. 
There's a stronghold maybe over that city. Just say over the cross. You go through the cross and maybe you feel awkward. And in fact, if you were to succumb to that influence that's over the cross, you could find yourself doing some crazy stuff there in particular. So every city has a pervasive stronghold, uh, a ruling uh, principalities and powers, the Bible says it, as it says it here. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6.12, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand, say stand, stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, keep standing. Love that. Awesome. Again, just to preface what I want to say, and in this story, which won't take me long, but the name Canaanite, in the Old Testament, names always had meanings. Names always had meanings. And the Canaanite spirit means trafficker, meaning commerce, but uh, in the negative sense, meaning that, I don't know if you've heard of sayings like filthy lucre, uh, ill-gotten gain. Money can do crazy things to people and cause them to be brought low into immorality. So this Canaanite spirit is something that would get into someone to do, to get money or to get materialistic gain at all costs. I'm thinking of gangsters. I'm thinking of gangsters in the 30s, the 20s, help me, you know, getting shot, throat cut in barbershops and, and uh, for, I'm thinking of drugs. I'm thinking of England, in fact, um, allowing for the, um, the trafficking of opium. And, and then China's trying to stop it. This is way back in the early days. And, and, of course, England forcing the issue and attacking one of the Chinese cities to allow their port to be used for the trafficking because opium was money to these English lords. You never hear these stories, but, but uh, money has... Um, there's wars because of money. Wars, an armory has been sold to, to just for the sheer sake of to make money and profit from weapons. So do you know what I'm saying? There's good commerce and there's negative commerce and trafficking that cause people to really get fouled up in immorality, but ultimately it's Satan bringing people low. The Canaanite spirit is the trafficking spirit, trafficking spirit of greed and lust for material goods, lust for material gain. It's always been one of man's main motivators and the source of many of his downfalls. Behind the greed of this world is the Canaanite spirit, a giant which seeks to ensnare the child of God and keep him from possessing his full inheritance. And you can see this in the story of Achan in the book of Joshua, Joshua 7, where they took out a city and God said, don't take any of the spoils from that city. Achan took this valuable coat, gold and silver, hid it in his tent floor. And then they, the Israelites went out again to uh, you know, do battle again. And they were overcome. What, what happened? God, you didn't back us up. Yeah, Achan, check, check, check. He's taken, out, taken some of the booty and he's hid it for himself. And then you see, um, I guess, uh, Judas selling off Jesus, our master, for... 12 pieces of silver, crummy amount, but he did. And then you see Ananias and Sapphira in the, uh, the book of Acts. 
They lied. They sold a big parcel of property, apparently. They said they were going to give maybe 10% or a portion of it. They said that to the apostles. We're going to sell. We're going to get this money. We're going to give some to the church, this new fledgling church at the time, the New Testament church. And they lied. They were in a meeting like this. And, you know, the offering didn't come in. And bang, Ananias goes down. They drag him out. Then Sapphira comes in. Where's hubby? Well, he's just been carted out. What do you got to say? Well, nothing. What's the matter? Bang, she goes down. And uh, that's probably the, wow, that's a tough, tough offering, isn't it? Wow. I'm glad I wasn't there that day. <laughs> Acts 5, 1, 11. Uh, and then there's times of uh, great abundance. And then in Revelations 3, 17, it says, You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And so ultimately, God is just saying, look, yeah, you can be blessed. Ultimately, we do believe in prosperity, but just, just make, sure that, make sure that you honor God in your prosperity and what we have, rather than saying, look what I've got. Gee whiz, it's all because of me, my career, my, my intelligence, and uh, just be careful of that because... Now, let's go to the story, Abraham and Lot, Genesis 12 to 14. I'm going to quickly uh, paraphrase this. And uh, you know Abraham. Abraham's called. There's a covenant perfected in Genesis 12. And um, God's always got a great plan. And the plan starts way back at the start. Finds Abraham. And, I, and I, Abraham 12.1 says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. This is basically what it means to get saved when you have to leave some of your, you know, your security of your home, your family. And this is for Abraham, it meant leaving his status, uh, leaving his ability to trade maybe, and just literally he heard God. That's why Abraham is the father of faith because he not only just went by faith, but he heard God and was obedient to God and left his home country, his father's household, and took with him uh, Lot. But he says here in the covenant, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. This is, applies still to us, by the way. And, I'll, and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. Basically, blessed to be a blessing. That is on you. That whole covenant now through Jesus is on you to be blessed, to be a blessing. That's what I tell business people when I meet up with them. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse So protection and all peoples on earth bless, will be blessed through you. Verse four, so Abraham left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Lot was his uh, nephew. Verse six, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of uh, Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites, the Canaanites, by the way, the Canaanites are a real people. They just found some pottery that goes way back to that time. And, 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 and it gives evidence that the Bible was written in its own time, not by just verbal, there was a story about Abe. No, this bit of pottery, which is making Facebook and headlines all over the world, a bit of pottery that was found around Jerusalem, which uh, gives us full evidence that the Canaanites were a real tribe, but also that the Bible was written because there was pieces of scripture on that pottery. Love that stuff. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moret, Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. 
So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he had a full-blown encounter with God. He built an altar there and it was a special place. That certain place uh, was special. And of course, verse 13, uh, unfortunately, uh, Abraham and Lot were fully laden with cattle and and, uh, just, you know, herds and they were doing really well, both of them. But here it is, here comes the Canaanite spirit. They, the herdsmen began to fight over whose was who. So again, all this great stuff that God had blessed them with them, but Lot had to come to Abraham and said, you know what, uh, our herdsmen, they're having a bit of a tussle out there in the paddock and they're arguing of who's who. He said, well, look, to save you know, all that problem, uh, look, Lot, I, I value our relationship. Look, I'll give you any place where you want. They were basically in the promised land. They were basically there. They had made it. And uh, Abraham says, look, Lot, let's not fight about this. You just take whatever you want. Lot looks out and sees, I think, the Jordan Valley. And it's rich. It's so rich that he wants it. It looks great. It is great. But did God say for him to go there? Maybe that's the question we need to ask. And another thing, it's very close to Sodom. Sodom is given over to the Canaanite spirit, meaning it's a city that's been brought low because of their debauchery and the ugliness of sin, that this city is just full-blown Sinsville. And Lot takes his tent and parks it near Sodom. One version says near. Oh, check this out. I think there's another version that says it a little bit more cleverly. So Genesis 13, 12 says, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, where Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. King James Version says, Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan. See, Abraham stayed where you're supposed to stay where he was encountering God, Lot went for more. He was given over to this spirit of greed maybe. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Not a good thing. Lot became very famous. Um, Hang on. Lot pitched his tent towards, but then he ended up in Sodom. So he's parked up near Sodom. As time goes by, Now he's in Sodom. Why? Because he wants to do commerce and he wants to to, uh, do business in there. Unfortunately, the city's corrupt. And the Bible says that Lot becomes important. But God's not happy with this city. Uh, This confederacy of uh, four other kings, they take on Sodom and the five other kings in this area. And... um, And of course, they try and protect, but they're overthrown. And Lot included is taken away with all the booty, the food, the slaves, the people. These kings take Lot away. Someone comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, this is not good. Lot, your nephew, has been taken away. Uh, Sodom has been invaded. And these kings have taken him away. He's gone. He gets his household together, 380 people, Abraham, and, uh, and he gets some other alliances. Isn't it good to have people around you that would join in on the fight? 
Not only his own household, not only see through Tugger, but maybe see the Baptist church down the road or another church say, hey guys, I'm going to help you, man. What's, what's, what's going down? And so Abraham goes after Lot. He, he, Lot. He's in covenant with Lot. It's family. He wants Lot. He goes after this army. At night, he camps around them. He attacks them. They don't know what's happening because it feels like there's thousands. Well, there's not. They were just being attacked from several directions in the dark. So this army, they flee with all the booty. Abraham overtakes them, gets all the booty back, gets Lot back. And on his way back, getting to my part now, on his way back, Sodom, the king of Sodom, Bera, Bera means son of evil. Names always mean something in the Old Testament. Bera is the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom, Bera, is so blessed for Abraham to get all his booty back, his people back, and he wants to meet him. He comes out to meet him, but someone just intercepts before he can get to them. And this someone is the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, he's, the Bible says he's a priest. Let's check this out. Yeah, this is radical. So he's tired. Abraham's coming back. He's tired. Quick, Phil, you've got to move on. He's tired. He's won a great battle. Abraham's brought his boy back, Lot. He's got all the spoil back of Sodom. He's got all these goods and possessions. He's got all the people. He's bringing it back. He's tired. But he has an encounter. Have we got a picture of that? He has an encounter, Abraham and Melchizedek. I hope we got a photo of that. And this dude comes out, Melchizedek. Who's Melchizedek? I've got to look at this. Where, where, where does it say this? 13. Uh, yeah, yeah, 17. After 14, Abraham 14, 17, after Abraham returned from defeating Ketalomar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shever. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, this is the first time he's mentioned, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high and he blessed Abraham. We can hand out the communion right now on that. No, hand out the communion. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham saying, bless the Abraham. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And he blessed and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Now there's something, something radical happening here. In these days, the senior person would bless the one down, the, the, the senior person would bless the one underneath him. But who knows Abraham, he's the dude, he hears from God. He's the man of God. Man, the Jewish nation comes from Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is the dude, it all starts back from him. He's the father of nations, he's the father of faith. He's the dude, there's no, that patriarchal man of God, Abraham, he comes back, he's tired, he's a bit weather-beaten, and this guy calls Melchizedek, meets him. He's a priest. In fact, he's a king. The name Melchizedek means he's a king of righteousness. Salem means peace, the king of peace. King of righteousness, king of peace. 
but there's no priest yet. The Levitical order has not been instated yet. It's 600 years before that. He's a priest. He's one that people go through to get to God. You know you can't just go directly to God. You've got to go through Jesus. Amen? You know that? Melchizedek is a priest. He presents himself as priest. Can I have that photo? Just leave it up there, thanks. I need that photo just staying up there. You can rotate them through the other two also. Oh, I love this. Check Abraham. He's a fighting man. I don't know what your version of Abraham is, but this guy can fight, man. He goes after these, these, uh, these, this gang and he takes them on and he comes back and Melchizedek meets with him and gives him bread and wine. There's no genealogy for Melchizedek. They can't find it. They don't say where he comes from. He just appears. Who is Melchizedek? Some commentators say it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Some others say that he's a descendant of Noah's son, Shechem, I think, Shem or Shem, I should say. But whoever Melchizedek is, in Psalm 110, it definitely alludes to the fact that Jesus becomes the fulfillment of Melchizedek in the New Testament. Jesus is our high priest, amen? Jesus is in fact the fulfillment of this one who very much portrays himself as like our priest, Jesus. So Abraham, he's about to run into Bera, the son of evil from the burning city. Sodom means burning city. How would you like to have that name, son of evil? Oh, here's my mate, Bera. Oh, son of evil. Wow. Yeah, let's hang out. Where's he from? Burning city. Whoa, makes it all more fun. (laughs) But God has a plan. And God has a plan for your giants to be dealt with. Because right at this moment, there's going to be a temptation from the king of Sodom, Bera, to tempt our Abraham with the threat of being brought low by the spirit of greed. Bera, after Abraham is blessed and nourished by God, he feels and he gets the revelation that everything belongs to God. That's the revelation that Abraham gets. Remember how he introduced himself? Let's do this. We're done. We're nearly done. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. That's why communion is important. We're going to take that in a moment. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abraham, saying, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And Abraham goes, what? Creator of heaven and earth? Haggai says the gold and the silver belong to him. Uh, In Psalm 29, verse 1, all the earth and the fullness of it belongs unto him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything we have, everything that we own, he owns. God created it, he owns it. We're a steward of it. Praise God for Melchizedek. He comes into Abraham's life He nourishes him. He gives him revelation that everything belongs unto God. 
Step aside, Melchizedek. Here comes Bera. What did I say his name was? Son of evil. Wow. Or child of evil. Son of evil, I think it is. He says this. Let's go to 21. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me all the people, but keep the goods for yourself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath. I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. See, that temptation was coming at Abraham, the Canaanite spirit. Bera was given over to it entirely. And he was going to proposition Abraham by the fact, hey, I'm just glad you brought my people back. Hey, you know all this booty, this filthy lucre, this ill-gotten gain? Abraham, you can have that. Some people would go after that, you know. Not our Abraham. He's had a revelation. He's been strengthened through communion. Our great high priest, Jesus, when we take communion, it says here, Let's check this out. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread and we break a participation in the body of Christ? So fellowship and communion. Abraham met up with the priest, with the king met up with one who could nourish him. In that fellowship, he was sustained and strengthened. In that fellowship, in being nourished by the bread and the wine, he was sustained and nourished and had revelation that his God was his provider. El Elyon, our God. He is the one, not Bera. And so... Abraham was given the ability to stand against that foul demonic spirit. Jesus is our high priest. When we take communion, he, when we take communion, when we come to church, the Bible says in Hebrews, don't forego the gathering of the saints. There's fellowship. Don't forego the gathering of the saints coming to church. When you come, when you meet the high priest Jesus, like Abraham met Melchizedek, something happens. There's a divine exchange. There's a divine exchange of energy into your body where after the battle of the week, after the battle of doing business with the world, after the battle of living life in general, you come to church and you have this encounter and all of a sudden that divine nature of God is like transferred into you. It energizes you and you can stand up again. Amen. So with communion in your hand, Jesus right now, a cup of blessing which we, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Father, we take this. Just like Abraham met Melchizedek, we take this and believe in you. We have faith in you. We love you, Lord God. We love you for who you are and what you've done for us. You've preserved us from every giant.
You've preserved us from every wicked thing, just like you preserved Abraham. Right now, Lord, we need fresh, fresh revelation, Lord, of how you can sustain us in this world. So just, let's just take that and just see the hands, the pierced, the nail-pierced hands of Jesus reaching out to you. As you just take that, Lord God, thank you that when I'm being threatened by these giants, these awkward spirits, that you, say, that you, you come to me in the form of the Holy Spirit, just like Melchizedek came to Abraham at the right time to strengthen him. Father, I thank you that, that you've given me the privilege to have communion with you, fellowship with you. And when I take communion, Lord, I am communing with you. Jesus, I need strength. Would you infuse my mortal body, my spirit, my soul, my mind with strength to endure to withstand every threat of every enemy that would come against me, including the Canaanite spirit. I love that. So in that, we're going to come now to our offering. Abraham had a revelation of God as the owner and source of all things. It was, this that, it was this very revelation that, that later gave Abraham strength to withstand Beera, king of Sodom. When he was tempted with material gain, Abraham replied, Genesis 14, 22, but Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath. This is the basis for our stewardship before God, the recognition of God's sovereign ownership of all things. The Word of God declares, Psalm 50 verse 10, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 50 verse 12, if we, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Genesis 14 20, and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham gave him a tenth. There it is, the tithe before the law. Through a full-blown encounter of Abraham between Abraham and Melchizedek, in that amazing encounter, Abraham says, you know what? God is the Lord God Almighty, the ruler of all the earth. And you know what? If he's gonna make me rich, he'll do it his way. This beard, child of Satan, he ain't gonna do it and he ain't gonna get any glory. I don't want that. I don't want it. You, want, you don't want all this, all this great stuff, this glittering prize of your, I don't need it, I don't want it. And I see so many people get caught up, even young people serving God at a young age, and then they get a bit older, they even get married, and they start to have houses and money, and they leave God behind because they get caught up in, the, in all the material trappings of the world, and they lose their calling. Abraham never forewent his calling. He stayed true blue to God, and he said, God, if you're gonna do it, and guess what? Abraham did become rich. 
but it was in God's way. He didn't have to go into Sodom. He didn't go into that city, that sinful city. God has a plan. God's always had a plan. And that plan is for you and I to be blessed. I believe in prosperity, but I believe it's God's way. It's not taking the spoils of the booty of this world. And I believe every time we're going to be tempted by something like this, I believe the Holy Spirit, like Melchizedek, intercepts us and sustains us and strengthens us. If, even if it's just by coming to church and sharing communion and sharing fellowship with each other and listening to the sermon, right there, you're going to be strengthened and you're going to be enabled to withstand the threats of all the demonic stuff that's ruling and reigning in our land. It's like Abraham. We need to stay faithful need to stay true to our calling. He will bless us. You know, Abraham did get those Jordan Valley beautiful rural paddocks. He he ended up getting them, but in God's time. Oh, God. Mm. So right now we're going to take our tithe. This is probably the most powerful giving message I could probably ever give you. The fact that this, that God owns it. He owns everything we have. And in giving to Him our tithe and our offerings, we say to Him, Lord, we honor You. We give to You what's, what's Yours anyhow. And God says, I see your heart. I see your heart that trusts me, that you don't have to connive. You don't have to be greedy. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Jesus says, don't worry. We never saw Jesus go hungry. Maybe that's why he preached that. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. God will provide for you. But you don't understand. And your money's not filthy lucre. The Bible says if you give a a tithe to the Lord, the rest of it is holy. So you should be a good steward of your money and not throw it around everywhere, but treat it like, man, that's souls, that's money I could honor God with, that's for the kingdom, that's to bless my family, and yes, and to bless myself. Money is not filthy lucre. Your money can be ordained to be a blessing. So thank you for all the people that are giving their tithes and offerings. And we're seeing money coming in for people who are giving a tithe of their tax returns and they're giving their vision builders. And, and uh, thank you because that says to God, I believe in you and I trust you. I don't have to connive my way to provide for myself. I can trust God. Marty, God's going to bless you with that business. Marty's got to launch out tomorrow and believe he's come up from Victoria he's got a he's really gone by faith and he's going to believe he can raise a business up uh, and a business that he does very well down in Victoria but God wants him here God wants you to prosper son God's going to do it let him do it his way don't bend your knee to that Canaanite spirit you don't have to take you know you don't have to take shortcuts and uh pay your taxes, do all the right stuff. Because in the end, Peter says, how are we going to pay our taxes, Jesus? 
And Jesus says to him, just go for a little fish down there and bring back what you find. Peter goes for a fish, pulls the fish out and finds a, a coin in the mouth of the, the fish. Jesus will do it. That's what I'm trying to say. He will get you those monies. He will get you those contracts. He will get you that business off the ground if you stay in memory. The, the, that place was a place where God was speaking to him. Never leave that place where God speaks to you. Never leave that place where God's presence is around you. Don't park near Sodom. Don't take the spoils of beer, the son of, son of evil. Don't, don't go there. God will bless your business and God will bless every business in this place. And God will bless every soul in this place if we do not bend our knee to the Canaanite spirit. I'm nearly done. So we're going to take up our offering on that note. So just get your tithes and offerings ready. I'm done. Father, we're going to say to you like Abraham said to Melchizedek, if it's true that God, you're the God that created the heavens and the earth, I choose this day I choose this day to give to you what belongs to you, the tithe. Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Father in heaven, we just pray right now that as we give you, as Abraham gave Melchizedek, the tithe. Again, the tithe was given before the law, during the law, and after the law. It's a basic principle of honoring God. It's not going to go away. People think by grace we can give when we want. Sorry. You give every time that you receive your wage, every time you receive increase. You give out of that, and that allows the whole amount to be holy. Your money is not filthy lucre. Your money is holy to the Lord to do great things for it. It's not common that you just toss it around and just do anything with it. You should treat it with respect. It's God's money. All your money is God's money. Yes, He wants you to prosper. Abraham was the richest man in the land, but Abraham did not bow his knee to the Canaanite spirit. He bent his knee to the Lord God, El Elyon, God of the universe, God of heaven and earth. So Father, right now, we give you our tithes and offerings. With tithes and offerings in your hand, we say, Father God, receive this, receive this as our declaration that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that you are our sustainer, you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We trust in you. We trust in you, dear God. As Abraham trusted you, was obedient to you and heard your voice and did what you called him to do. So Father, help us follow you. Help us be obedient to you in every measure of our life, especially in our finances. Sustain us through communion. Sustain us through fellowship, through church. Sustain us to be strong in Jesus' name. And the saints say, amen. You can take up the offering this morning. Fear God, love God. Trust Him that He's your provider. Dear Father in heaven, thank you. Why is there fights in life? Because God wants us to fight the good fight of faith. 
faith without the fight is not faith at all. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of your eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many enemies. Genesis 15.1 says, After that great fight, fight that Abraham did over many years, the Bible says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. As we deal with the Canaanite spirit in our promised land, let us accept the preparation God has given for us through fellowship, through the Lord's table and the giving of our tithes and offerings to Him and more and move ahead as victorious overcomers to receive the rewards that He has in store for us. Let's stand. God bless you. Father in heaven, I thank you. I bless you. Pray that you reward every giver in this house. Every fight of faith will be rewarded, no doubt. He will surround you with a shield. Favor will come upon you. You're going to get through all this stuff. Your giant may not be finances. Your giant may be fear. Your giant may be getting control over your tongue. But I pray this, that God would give you strategy like God gave Abraham strategy by Melchizedek meeting him in the hour of his need. Jesus, we need you in the hour of our need. We need you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Selfless faith to live like